All right. First Kings chapter 19. Let's open with a word of prayer and dig into the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We ask now that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. And Lord, we thank you that it's by your grace that we are saved. Not of works that any man should boast. We thank you that you're a faithful God, a loving God, and a merciful God. And we thank you, Lord, for everyone who's here tonight and those watching on live stream, those will hear on the radio later or on, on YouTube or, or Vimeo, wherever they may see it. Lord, we pray that your word would go forth with power. And Lord, you give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us tonight. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. All right, 1 Kings 19. So just to catch you up briefly, and then we will dig into the text. As we know that 1 Kings, the, after Solomon, because of Solomon, uh, Solomon's ungodliness, the nation of Israel, because what happened was he had married women. They had turned his heart away from God. He was the guy who built the temple, but he was also building altars to all the false gods. And because of that, God said that he would no longer, uh, that his family would no longer reign over all of Israel. And so what happened is the, t- the 10 nations to the north became Israel and the two nations to the south became Judah. So it's still 12 tribes, but they were separated. And what we've seen as we've looked at the kings All the kings in the north are evil. Every one of them over a great period of time, they're just evil king after evil king after evil king. Now you gotta be reminded, these are the children of Israel. These are the ones that went through the Red Sea, their ancestors. These are the ones who were delivered out of bondage. These are the ones that had the pillar of fire and the, and the pillar of a cloud that led them to the wilderness. These are the ones where God fed them from, with manna from the sky. These are the ones that received the Ten Commandments off of Mount Sinai. They're the ones that went into the land. First, the first generation wouldn't go in, so they died in the wilderness. The next generation went into the land, and God gave them victory over giants in the land. And God was moving mightily amongst them. And now their kings are wicked and vile. And every one of them is worshiping false gods. And so we saw that there are some of the kings in the south. Every about third king or so was actually would turn the people back to the Lord. But in the north, they were separated from God. So during this time of great wickedness, God brought a man. We saw him last week. His name was, who did we see last week? Elijah. Elijah. And Elijah was a mighty man of God, a prophet of God, a bold man. He went into King Ahab. It says says of Ahab that he was the most evil of all the kings that had ever existed. Boy, that's saying something, isn't it? And then his wife might have been worse than him. And we know her name. What is it? Jezebel. Jezebel. And I told you, when when you're so bad that you break a name, you're bad. Can I get an amen? That nobody calls their daughter Jezebel. And you have not met a Jezebel. They broke it. It's right there with Hitler and Judas. Can I get an amen? I mean, she broke the name. Nobody's ever called that again. She's a, a wicked, vile woman. We'll see some of that tonight and even more in the coming weeks. So Ahab had allowed his marriage to Jezebel and she was from Sidon, Tyre and Sidon, and she brought her God with her. And her God was two gods, but mainly it was Baal and Asheroth. And she actually had 450 prophets that were on the temple payroll, if you will, or the, or the, you know, the royal payroll. And what they did is they started worshiping Baal. And then she went out and started having all the prophets of Yahweh put to death. So these are God's people killing God's prophets and worshiping a false God. It's a mess. And so Elijah goes into Ahab and challenges him. Love this boldness. I'm telling you all this because it's going to be different in tonight's text. But he goes in and he challenges Ahab and he said, you know what? Because of your ungodliness, it's not going to rain until I say so. 
And you have to understand in those days, they didn't have any irrigation. If it didn't rain, people starved. If it didn't rain, they didn't have any water to drink and it would, it would level the nation. And he said, it's not going to rain until I say so. Then God led, we know, Elijah out into the wilderness after he told him that and God fed him with ravens. So God provided for him for over a year, having birds bring him food. That's, that's called a miracle. Birds don't bring food, they take food. Can I get an amen? I went to high school in Orange County for my first year. And if you left your sandwich out, the seagulls were all over it, man. It, you couldn't do that. It was no good. So birds bringing him food, that's the miraculous. Then God drew him up to Sidon, to the area where the hometown of Jezebel. And there God had this divine appointment with the widow, if you guys remember this. And the widow was concerned that her, you know, they were about to die. And he asked this woman for some water. And she, you know, basically she, should have, she could have said, are you kidding me? We're all dying of thirst. I'm running out of water. I don't have water for a stranger. But she decided to give him water. Then he asked for food and she gave him a, what little food they had left. And she said, we're gathering sticks and we're going to eat our last food and then we're going to die. And because she was faithful and because she blessed Elijah, God blessed her. And remember that her oil and her flour never ran out. No matter how much she used, it would be full again when she reopened it. If that wasn't enough of a miraculous work, her son then died and she thought, God's cursing me. You're God's prophet. God's cursing me because of my sinful life. And what did we see this? It's the first time recorded in the scripture in the Old Testament. And he lays on the young boy and he raises from the dead. And then she says, now I believe that your God is God. It took a lot to get her attention because I guess the flour and the oil wasn't getting it. So they had to raise somebody from the dead. So she believed after that. And well, now Elijah, after that, was called by God to go back and confront Ahab again. Keep in mind, for three and a half years, they've been looking for Elijah. Do you remember Elijah runs into Obadiah on the road and Obadiah, he's like, go and tell him I'm coming. Obadiah's like, dude, I want no part of you. Even though he was a prophet of God being used by God, Obadiah, he was afraid of being associated with Elijah because he was afraid that if Elijah didn't show up, he'd be put to death instead. And so what happened? Elijah, by the way, was hiding a hundred priests in caves. You guys remember that? And he was feeding them from the, from the, uh, you know, the royal food. He was taking it to them in the sly and keeping them alive. So he was being a man of faith, but his faith only went so far. He didn't want to be aligned with Elijah. So Elijah finally comes to Ahab and he challenges him. We're going to find out whose God is God. You gather up all your prophets of Baal and we'll go out and we'll do a test. And in the test that he put out was, you build an altar and you cry out to your God and see if he will bring fire. And then I will call out to Yahweh and see if he brings fire and whoever's God is God will reveal himself. And they said, this is a great idea. By the way, Baal is the God of not only fertility, but he's the God of storms and lightning. So you would think this is ideal for them because he's the God of lightning. And if you're trying to light wood on fire from the sky, I'm thinking lightning's good. Amen. So they gathered together and we saw what happened. The 450 prophets of Baal, they cried out to their God for hour after hour. They even got the noonday. He gave them the better time and the better altar. You guys can have the better one. I'm not, let you go first. And they went on for hours. And then they started dancing before their God, trying to get his attention. Then they started cutting themselves. Oh, we wound ourselves for you. And we'll remember that Elijah started getting a little cocky with them. Can I get an Amen. No, sure. Oh, wait, maybe your God is sleeping. Maybe you need to yell a little louder. You know, maybe he's, maybe he's away on business. And then he says, maybe he's in the bathroom. Okay. Mocker, you can mock a God that doesn't exist. Can I get an amen to that? You're mocking the air. He doesn't exist. 
So they are just beside themselves. Finally, to make sure they understood that nothing happened underhanded, he took and covered the altar in water numerous times, 240 gallons worth when you equate it from the, in the original language. He covers it in water. It's surrounded by water. He prays one time and the fire comes from the sky and burns up the sacrifice. By the way, the sacrifice was a bull and Baal was a man with a bull's head. I mean, they had all the advantages. They had 450 to one when it came to prophets. They had the better altar. They had the noonday sun when it was hot, easier for, for uh, wood to light up and, and not covered in water. And guys, if God is for us, who can be against us? And you plus God is a majority. Can I get an amen to that? And 400 prophets of any false God is not the equivalent of one follower of the true and living God. The Bible says the one will chase a thousand. Can I get an Amen. God is for us who can be against us. So that brings us now, they've had the victory. If you remember what happened at the, after the victory, that Elijah called the people because they started crying out. And here's what they said. The Lord is God. The Lord is God. The Lord is God. Amen, amen, and amen. And then they said, round up the prophets of Baal. They took them down to the brook Kidron and killed all 450 of them. People go, man, that's not very nice. You know what also isn't very nice? Trying to drag people away from the true and living God to a false God. Can I get an amen? Trying to bring people to a place of destruction that will separate them from the creator of the universe for all eternity. It's satanic. Can I get an amen to that? Satan seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. So that brings us to tonight's chapter, chapter 19. All that has just taken place. The Lord is God. The Lord is God. You were thinking maybe revival is going to happen now, right? That would be the hope. I think that's Elijah's expectation is, well, look, we've proven that Yahweh is God and he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God of our people. Maybe this is what we needed to turn our backs, turn back to the true and living God and begin to worship him again. Grab your outline. Let's go through it and then we'll dig into the text. Dealing with discouragement and depression, we're, you're going to find out why that matters and where that comes from, but we're going to see it in tonight's text, and we're going to see it from somebody you wouldn't expect it from. Point number one, trusting, first, trusting that God is good and in control even when things aren't going your way. Anybody ever felt like that? Ever. You got to learn to trust God even when, it does, even when we don't get it. Can I get an amen to that? God is faithful even when we don't understand. What happens when we allow our feelings to take precedence over God's promises? Here's one of the biggest problems, not only in the world, but in the church today. When we put our feelings above what the word of God says. Can I get an amen to that? Your feelings will lie to you all day long. Amen. And I hear this all the time when I'm counseling, people, but I feel. Show me a Bible verse. Can I get an amen to that? But I just feel. And I just feel, and I just feel. And we're living in a country and in a world run by our feelings. How's that working out right about now? Well, I just feel, but I just think, but I just believe. My truth. I'm going to throw up. I hear that one more time. Well, this, I'm living my truth. So that means you're living a lie. Can I get an amen to that? Because there's only one truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. Can I get an amen to that? So any other truth than that truth is not the truth, it's a lie. And we don't have my truth and your truth, they have the truth. Can I get an amen to that? So what happens when we allow our feelings to take precedence over God's promises? Number one, you can move from faith to fear. When you are letting your feelings determine how you live your life, you will often allow fear to overcome the faith that you have 
in the Lord. We'll see that tonight. Number two, you move from boldness to discouragement and depression. We're going to see a man of God. I'll tell you who it is. It's Elijah. This is going to blow you away. Elijah, Mr. Bold, come in and challenge Ahab is going to become a guy sitting under a tree wanting to just die. How in the world does that happen when you allow your feelings and your disappointments to be more important in your life than what God had promised? Number three, you feel isolated and alone. You feel isolated and alone. When you allow your feelings to take precedence, when you become afraid of everything before you know it. By the way, Christianity is not for the Lone Ranger. Amen. Forsake not the gathering yourselves together and all the more as the day approaches, we need to be around God's people. You feel that your life has not made a difference. You hear people say that, well, my life hasn't made a difference. I've lived all this time and I haven't seen any fruit to my life. We're gonna see Elijah saying that in tonight's text. You feel like nothing in your life has turned out the way you hoped. How many of you are living exactly the life you thought you would be living? If your hand's up, you'll be the first person I've ever seen raise your hand to that question in my life. Anybody? No way. God has a plan for our life. We make plans, God laughs. Can I get an amen to that? God knows what he's doing. Our lives do not go the way that we would expect them to. God, but the better news is they go the way God wants them to, and that's always better. Can I get an amen to that? Then number four, he's going to give three reminders from the Lord to lift us out of discouragement and depression. So if these are things that you struggle with, we're going to see in tonight's text, as Ezekiel, I keep wanting to say Ezekiel, as Elijah is struggling with discouragement, you could even say depression, that the Lord's going to speak some things into his life to get his eyes back on where they need to be and to move him away from depression back into a place of faith and being usable by God. Number one, God is at work even when you, don't, you can't see it. Did you know that? Sometimes we think, well, I don't see God doing anything. Why are we going through this? I don't understand why we're in this mess. Why, 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 why? And the reality is God is always working. All things together for the good, for those who trust in God, those who are called according to his purpose. Not your comfort, not your will, his purpose. Can I get an amen? So if it's for his purpose, I may go through some difficulties. If it's for his purpose, you may go through, you know, rebellious children, loss of a job, health issues, whatever it might be. But God will use those for his glory if you will just let him. Number two, be faithful right where you are. You know, too often, this is what we see when, when I talk to people, especially about ministry in a church, they'll say, well, I'm trying to figure out what I'm supposed to Just be faithful right where you are. It's always, well, down the road. But when, you know, I, I had a buddy of mine and uh, if he's watching, he'll know who it is, but no one else will. So that's okay. But he told, I remember when we were in our twenties and this guy was so gifted and he was like, well, you know, as soon as I get married, then I'll be able to do ministry. And then it was, well, as soon as we have our children, well, then as soon as we have our children in school, and then it was as soon as we, and now his kids are in college and he's still, well, as soon as our grandkids. And the sad part is 30 years of life go by and you don't use your gifting because you're waiting for something else to come along. Be faithful right where you are. Can I get an amen to that? And be faithful in the simple things that God will use you in even greater things. Number three, the success of God's ministry is not dependent on you. I'm really glad that's true. Can I get an amen to that? Does God want to use us? What's the answer? We need him. He doesn't need us. And God chooses to use us. And we're called to fulfill the great commission. But here's the good news. My salvation isn't dependent upon you doing the right thing. 
Can I get an amen to that? Aren't you thankful for that? But that being said, because here's what can happen, especially if you're somebody who's really driven, you can look and think, well, if I don't do these 850 things, then someone's not going to get saved. Again, you be faithful to what you're called to do, but trust that God is in control. And then finally, point number five at the bottom, all you're going through is part of God's work of molding you into his image and preparing you for what is next. And we're going to see that there's no room in ministry for the lazy. Can I get an amen to that? We're going to see, have you ever noticed that when people calls, when God calls people in the ministry, they're always working? They're always working. Peter, James, and John, they're fishing. Nehemiah was a cupbearer. Amen. I mean, you look at each person, they're, they're working. Gideon was on the threshing floor working, right? And so when they're working, when they're being faithful, that's when, and here's what would happen, especially in Santa Cruz where our church got really pretty large and people would want to be involved. We had a, a, a decent sized staff and they come and say, you know, I haven't worked in like four years. So I think God maybe is calling me to come work at the church. Yeah, uh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Can I get an amen to that? Every time we hired somebody, they would be leaving a, bet, a, a higher paying job and are, are called to be there and are willing to do it for free if necessary. Guys, this is not a vocation that we aspire to. It's a calling that we obey. Can I get an amen to that? And we're all called to serve. And by the way, you know, all the pastors here have jobs myself included. We go to work every day. And you know what? Praise God for that, because that's our mission field. And it's a get to, not a have to. Amen? And, and you know what? I will say this of the, my, our assistant pastors here. They're some of the most hardworking people you've ever met in your life. And I can get an amen to that. Can I get an amen to that? Multiple ministries, 40, 50-hour weeks on top of their regular jobs. You know why? Because it's a calling. Because it's, it's a get to, not a have to. Can I get an amen? So let's begin there looking at dealing with discouragement and depression. First of all, uh, what happens when you allow your feelings to take precedence over God's promises? You move from faith to fear. Look at verse 1 of 1 Kings 19. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Uh-oh. So he goes to Jezebel and he's replaying what I just told you. Jezebel, here's what happened. He came and he confronted me. And then we had this... We had this contest, if you will, to see whose God is God. And, and the prophets of Baal, the 450 guys that you brought here from Sidon, your, your, uh, your prophets that serve you, that you have on your payroll, well, we all went up and, and we cried out and they cried out. And, and guess what? Baal didn't answer. And then Elijah got up and he prayed to God and God answered. And then all the people were crying out, the Lord is God, the Lord is God. And they've turned their backs away from, from Baal. And by the way, at the end of it, he killed all your prophets. They're all dead now. Those 450 prophets you had, they're all dead. Now, how do you, now Jezebel has two choices here. It's an opportunity to recognize that Jesus, well, Jesus hasn't come yet, that Yahweh is God, amen, or to remain steadfast, and how she feels and what she believes. Now, knowing her name, what do you think she's going to do? She is going to get angry and she's going to seek vengeance. So he recounts everything that happened, the altar being built. You can just almost, you know, as he's telling her, when I, when I read the Bible and I study it, so you guys get it for an hour, I get it for 25, you know, a chapter that I'm going through. I just imagine Jezebel sitting on her throne and Ahab's telling her what happened. And I can like see the veins popping out of her neck. Can I get an amen? So her face is getting red. You know, the little vein up here is sticking out and she's just getting, she's gritting her teeth. And the more that he tells her, the more angry that she gets. Again, that's Pastor Dave's interpretation, but I don't think that's far off. Can I get an amen? 
So she was the queen and the champion of Baal. She's the one that brought Baal to Israel. And Baal's been proven to be a fraud. And the prophets that she brought are all dead. And now she's, that's taken away some of her power and some of her position. No doubt she's wondering, well, if all the people turn back to the true and living God, they might get rid of us. And so how is she going to respond? She has a chance to repent. But I can only imagine the shock as she heard all of it. You can imagine the shock and frustration and anger growing in Jezebel's heart and countenance. It says in 1 Kings, now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And again, I, I can almost imagine as she heard that part of it, especially that she got angry. Do you know the people that don't know God get upset when people say the Lord is God? Can I get an amen to that? Don't they want to silence you from what you believe? When people live according to their feelings and they reject the true and living God, they want you to keep quiet about their lifestyle and they want you to approve theirs. Can I get an amen to that? And if you make a stand for Jesus Christ, if you dare just have a Christian t-shirt on, if you, if you invite somebody to church, if you just talk about the Lord, if they know you have a relationship with the Lord, they'll often attack you, call you a bigot. Can I get an amen? You're a bigot. You're narrow-minded. You're a homophobe. You're a transphobe. You're a, you're a, I'm a phobe. Amen. And I always say, I'm a cinephobe. This covers all of it. Can I get an amen? But here's the reality. The reality is that when you make a stand for God, it's not always popular. And especially imagine, what would that be like to have leadership that wanted nothing to do with God? Oh, oh I guess we're living in that too. Can I get an amen? But here's what's happening. She's the queen. She still has a position of power and authority, but it's, she knows it's being threatened and she's not going to repent. Elijah had the people kill all the prophets. She's in a position where she knows her authority could be challenged. It says also he executed all the prophets with the sword. Uh, most people believe that he literally killed them all himself. That like they gathered them up, they brought them down and he was running a sword one at a time. That's, that's a bloody mess. Amen. But again, if somebody, how does God feel about people who are trying to take his children away? How would you feel if someone wanted to come grab one of your kids and drag one of your kids off into destruction? And we're imperfect moms and dads and grandma and grandpas. How do you think the true and living God feels about it? Well, the prophets of Baal found out. Can I get an amen? And I have no problem with the putting to death of somebody who's trying to take people away from the true and living God and, and draw them into an eternity separated from him. Amen. And again, they didn't have to do that. They chose to do that. Verse two, then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me. What God are you talking about? Your God's dead. We just proved it. Can I get an amen? But look what she says. So let the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them, by tomorrow about this time. Here's what she says. Elijah, you got 24 hours. You're going to be dead. I'm going to hunt you down and I'm going to kill you. You're dead man walking, dead man walking. Now I read that verse and my expectation because of what I know about Elijah is that he would stomp down there and look her in the eye and confront her. Wouldn't that, isn't that what you would expect based on what you've been seeing so far from Elijah? Is that what happens? I'm amazed. I, the first time, I remember the first time I taught this, when I read this chapter, I was like shaking my, where's the real Elijah? Who's this guy? Where did he come from? 
What happened to the guy that mocked the 450 prophets of Baal? What happened to the guy that stood for the true and living God? Where did that guy go? What in the world happened? Well, guys, take heed lest ye fall. She vows to kill him. Often the response of those with hardened hearts when their sin is brought out into the light. You know, if you want to, if you want to get someone aggravated, bring a halogen light into a bar. Amen. My first sales job many years ago was, was in restaurants. I sold restaurant equipment when I was up like 21 years old. And a lot of them would have bars attached to them. And there'd be people in the bar at 7 a.m. And it's always dark in the bar. Never a well-lit bar. It's in the bar and they're drinking alcohol. And sometimes I would go in there and flip on a light. Boy, you think someone shot them. Can you get an amen? And so here's the reality that they're shining a halogen light on the falsity of Baal. Baal is not a God. Baal is something you created. Baal is, a, is an idol. No other, what, the first two commandments? No other gods before me and no graven image. And these are the people of the Ten Commandments, and they're breaking both of them. And now Jezebel knows that she's being called out. Again, when you call sin, sin today, people will say that you're narrow-minded. They will tell you to you know, go live your own life, but at the same time, they want us to agree with theirs. So Elijah probably thought, that the miracle at Mount Carmel would have been the event that would bring about the conversion of both Ahab and Jezebel. I bet he was hoping for it. And certainly all of the people of Israel would return to the true and living God and they would take down all the idols and set them on fire and get back with God again because God had done the supernatural. This was an absolute miracle. You could not deny it. You could not refute it. All the people saw it and they cried out, the Lord is God, the Lord is God. But that didn't happen. And so here's where the discouragement comes in the life of Elijah. Because when God did such a mighty work, he expected revival to follow. When God did this miracle, he thought it was gonna transform Israel back to serving the true and living God. And no doubt Ezekiel, Ezekiel, keep saying that, Elijah had prayed for it. Elijah, this was heavy on his heart. This is what he desired above all else. No doubt he thought about it when he was being fed by ravens for a year. No doubt he thought about it when he was up inside. And, and now he comes down after three and a half years of God's provision and God does this miraculous work. And no doubt this is gonna be it. It's gonna turn everything around. And instead, his life is being threatened by the very queen he was hoping would repent. And isn't it sad when you see God doing mighty work and people still don't repent? When God, I've seen people heal, healed of cancer. I've seen God do supernatural, miraculous things. I've told you this story. I had a buddy of mine. We played golf together. We worked together. And his, he would never talk to me about the Lord. We had known each other for years. I helped him get a job with the company I work for now. And we were very good friends, but he did not know the Lord. And his dad came down with cancer. And I walked by his cubicle one day and he was weeping. And I said, what's going on, bro? And he said, I just found out my dad who lives in England's got cancer. And they're only giving him a short amount of time to live. And I said, well, can I pray for him? First time he's ever seen a crack. Oh, um, okay. You know, it's amazing how there's no dying atheist or drowning atheist. Can I get an amen? So he says, okay, okay. So I started praying for his dad. And I told him, I said, look, the only thing I'm going to ask you, if God, if God in his mercy and his infinite wisdom should choose to heal your dad, then you give God all the glory. No, if he heals my dad, I'll believe. Well, God healed his dad. And he still didn't believe. And it's just tragic, isn't it? And this is exactly how Elijah feels. 
Instead of repentance, there's anger and bitterness and a desire to silence the messenger. See, if you cannot, if you will not believe the message, you want to silence the messenger. That's the same, re- that's the reason why we will never stop having church. I don't care whatever happens ever. Can I get an amen to that? Because the world wants us to just be quiet and go sit in a corner somewhere and we can have strip clubs open and everything else open, but churches are non-essential. Well, let me tell you something. Jesus is essential whether they outlaw it or not. Can I get an amen to that? And so here's the exhortation. They want to silence it. They want to keep the thing that brings conviction quiet. If I do not make your life, Jezebel isn't happy with Elijah. He's killed 450 of her favorite people. And again, we can expect attacks when we stand up for the things of God. Uh, I, I read a, a Scottish pastor from the 1800s said, let us be as watchful after victory as we are before battle. A lot of times when God's doing something great, we can kind of let our guard down a little bit, or we can cease to be so desperate or humble before him. And I think that's what's happening here. Elijah's thinking, hey, look, God just showed up. This should change everything. But that's the moment when we need to be careful and watchful. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. It's 1 Peter 5.8. So after such a great victory, witnessing the power of God, Elijah's response to Jezebel's threat might surprise you, but it won't because I already told you what it was. Look at verse 3. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life. You've got to be kidding me. Are you kidding me? He went from challenging Ahab to his face, kicking idols down, standing up for the truth with boldness, unafraid, unashamed, and now he's running away. Matter of fact, he's going to run 90 miles. He's not running down the street. He's going to run out of the country. He's going to run all the way down into the southern portion of you know, Judah, where out of, out of Israel, the 10 tribes to the north, he's going to vacate himself. And some commentators say he didn't do this because he was afraid. Yes, he did. If he wasn't afraid, he wouldn't have run. Can I get an amen? So here's what can happen to any of us, though. See, here's a mighty man of God being used mightily by God. But when things don't go the way he expects, he's now disappointed that God didn't show up the way he wanted him to. And now he became fearful and now he runs away and hides. A faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. Amen. Bible tells us that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. Again, Elijah, who had just experienced three and a half years of God's provision with the ravens feeding him, God's power providing for the widow, raising her son from the dead, brought fire down from heaven. And Elijah, who had twice boldly confronted Ahab, now runs from his wife. Really, bro? Where's the men to really run from his wife? You confronted the king and you're running from his wife. Dude, man up. Can I get any men? But here's the whole point. Can't we all allow fear to take over sometimes? What's the answer? We can become fearful and remember, just fear, anxiety, and worry are all the opposite of faith. See, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, there are times when, when we should be afraid, but we shouldn't live in it. If, you know, if a lion ran in here right now, we'd have 50 afraid people. Can I get an amen? People would be running out of the building. Hopefully, the husbands would be protecting their wives. Can I get an amen? But if we walk around and live in fear, that's something completely different. Men throughout scripture often fail in their areas of their greatest strength. 
Have you ever noticed that? So what, if you thought of Elijah prior to this, what would you say his greatest strength is? I would say maybe courage. Can I get an amen? But often in scripture, you'll see the people who their greatest strength becomes the area where they fall often because they cease to be desperate for God in that area. Peter was, was bold and brave, right? Lopping off ears of Roman soldiers, right? But he's the one that denied the Lord. Amen. Abraham, the father of faith, failed in faith. Job, the most patient man in the Bible, failed in patience. Amen. Solomon, supposed to be the wisest man, failed in wisdom when it came to women. Can I get an amen to that? And so often the area where we think we've got it nailed is the area we're most susceptible to fall. And that's why we need to say, the Bible says, take heed lest ye fall. Amen. Because we all can, if there's an error, I'll never fall into that. That's not a problem for me. That's not a temptation for me. That's not a struggle for me. Take heed lest ye fall. So now these, the most courageous man flees from an angry woman. And again, the issue is often trusting in their own strength instead of remaining desperate for God. And Elijah was discouraged by the outcome of the miracle at Mount Carmel. He was bummed out. He thought God was going to do something great, and then God didn't do it, and he didn't understand, so he ran away instead of trusting the Lord. Verse. So point number one there, what happens when we allow our feelings to take precedence over God's promises, dealing with discouragement and depression? You move from faith to fear. You move from faith to fear. Why? What is it that's controlling him? It's his feelings. It's not the Lord. God didn't tell him to do this. This is not anything coming from God. This is his own internal fear that's caused him to run away when he should have stood firm. Number two, you move from boldness to discouragement and depression. Look at verse four. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die. Really, bro? Are you kidding me right now? I didn't get my wage. I just want to die. It didn't happen the way I thought it should. So I just want to die. Broom trees, uh, if you've been to the Middle East, they're, they're about 10 to 12 feet tall. You get a little bit of shade from them. So he's, laying, he's sitting in the shade, hiding from the sun, and he just wants to die because things didn't go the way he had hoped. And the sad part is, that's the very definition almost of discouragement and depression. Can I get an amen to that? I mean, when your feelings are so beyond reality to some degree, right? You know, I know a lot of people, I have people in my family, people I know that I love that deal with depression. And when you're depressed, it's not logical. Can I get an amen to that? Now it's real. It's a real feeling that those people have. And we need to pray for that when you go through that. Amen. But it doesn't, it's not really logical when you look around. Amen. I know people that are depressed because, you know, and it'll be something you're like, really? But we got to take that seriously. We need to pray for them and love on them in Jesus' name. Can I get an amen to that? Because it's a real thing that people do struggle with. But he basically gets under a broom tree and he just says, I just want to die. Now notice what he says in the rest of that verse. He says, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life for I am no better than my father's. He said, look, it's enough. I don't want to do this anymore. That's what he's saying. Pastor Dave paraphrased. You know what? I'm done. I've been doing this. I've been trying to reach people with the, God, with the truth of who God is. I've been standing for the things of God. I, I'm the only, you know, in his mind, I'm the only prophet of God left on the planet. And I'm just done. If they don't respond to fire coming down from, from the sky and burning up an altar, if they won't respond after three and a half years of no rain, and I say, let it rain and it rains, 
if, if they won't respond to that, they're not going to respond to anything. I just give up. And as believers, we need to never give up. Can I get an amen? Because God is in control. God is faithful and God is doing a work. And he thinks his best days are behind him. Well, if you've read the Bible, you know that Elijah's best days are in front of him. Can I get an amen? He's going to go up in a fiery chariot. We're going to see a light. He's on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus and Moses. Can I get an amen to that? He's going to be one of the two witnesses in the last days. God's not done with this guy by any any stretch. But what happens is we can allow our feelings to feel like, well, God's done with me. God will never use me again. Let me clue you in. Here's how you know God's not done with you. Are you breathing? God's not done with you. Can I get an amen to that? You breathing in and out, God still wants to use you. God's calling is irrevocable. God has a plan for your life. God wants to use you for his kingdom and for his glory. Amen? No matter how old you are or what you think your talents are. So the work was stressful and exhausting. And in the end, he thinks it accomplished nothing. All that time in the wilderness, all the prayer that I prayed, all that happened and God moved in a mighty way and nothing came of it. And the sad part is, is because we look often from a temporal perspective and don't understand that God is at work. It did not result in the lasting national revival or the return to the love for the Lord that he had hoped. He says, now, Lord, take my life for I am no better than my father's. Elijah looks at all he has done and sees it as a failure and puts the blame on himself. I failed miserably. I didn't do enough for God. I have failed. By the way, you can't save anybody. Can I get an amen to that? Are we called to share our faith? What's the answer? By the grace of God in my lifetime, I've been able to pray with hundreds, if not over a thousand. Many people have gotten saved by the grace of God. God gets all the glory. We're just tools in his hands. Can I get an amen? We're tools in the hands of the master. You know what? A de- you know, I'm, I'm like a dr- we're like drills for the dentist. You know, if we're left on our own, we're going to do more damage than good. Can I get an amen? In the, in the hands of the dentist, it does good work. Amen? You don't praise the drill, you thank the dentist. Can I get an amen to that? And so when God does something great, to God alone be all the glory, but don't we want to be a part of what God's doing? Isn't it a privilege and a blessing to be the tool in the hand of the master? Amen? That he chooses to use. So he's in this place where I'm as bad as my unfaithful fathers. It's because I'm a sinner like my ancestors that the work seemed to fail. Verse five. Then as he lay and slept under the broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. Now, I love this, that the angel didn't come and say, you wimp, did he? You fearful crybaby. Didn't do that, did he? What did he do? He came and encouraged him. Amen? Hey, bro, wake up. Let's get something to eat. By the way, I don't think this is by chance. A lot of times when people get depressed, they stop eating. Can I get an amen to that? And they get discouraged, and they don't eat, and they don't take care of themselves, and they, 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 they isolate themselves. And that's what's happening here. And he's basically telling them, dude, wake up. You need to take care of yourself physically. Get up and eat. Get up and have some, you know, get up. You're laying there on the bed and you're just being, you know, in his case, laying under a tree and you're depressed and discouraged and it's time for you to get up. Sometimes the answer to our discouragement or someone's depression isn't always easy, but the angel did not give Elijah a vision or explain scriptures to him or do anything remarkable. He just told the most ordinary thing to get up and eat. Guys, we're human and sometimes depression and discouragement can simply be because we've pushed our... 
We've pushed ourselves too far and too hard, and we simply need a break. Can I get an amen to that? Spent, my mom was 15 days, basically, where we knew she thought she was going to die any minute, for 15 days. You know, this just happened a couple weeks ago. And she stopped drinking water because of her Alzheimer's. It stops your ability to swallow. And they say it lasts three days usually. She lasted 15 days. So my sister and I were there the entire, I came back and forth for church, but I was there for 15 days. And so was my sister. And we had family flying in from all over. And we were just praying for my mom to go to heaven because heaven's better. Can I get an amen? Heaven's better. And just seeing her suffer and trying to breathe and it broke our hearts. And, you know, and then I came and she went to heaven on Saturday. I came on Sunday and taught. And I, I'm a guy that might, you ask my wife, I sleep three or four hours a night. I don't need a lot of sleep. God built me that way so I can study. I went home that Sunday and I went to bed at three o'clock and woke up the next morning at seven. Because I, it, here's what happens. Your body, sometimes you've just given so much, it's, it's exhausted. Can I get an amen to that? Where it finally just, and emotionally, it just gives out. It's like, you know what? You just need to rest. Amen. Well, he's in a position where he's just, he's given out. He spent three, all that God has done, and now he's just like, he's exhausted. But at the same time, you don't want to lay in bed for a week. You're going to get an amen. After what? Time to get up, bro. Time to, time to get back to life and start being used by the Lord. Now watch what happens. Then he, laid, he, lay, he, then he looked, and there was by his head a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. I think this is where we get angel food cake. Can I get an Amen. Angel brought him a cake. I'm an old youth pastor, sorry. And there's another one even worse coming later on in the sex. Come on, angel food cake. That, that fits right there, totally perfectly. So the angel shows up. He brings him something to eat, gets him to wake up. But watch what happens. And this shows again how exhausted and tired he was. It says, in the angel, verse seven, of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. So he ate, he, he woke up after a long time of sleep. He ate a little bit of food and he went back to sleep. He's, he's discouraged. He's depressed, if you will. He's at a place where he's just kind of fallen out. But notice that they're not, the angel doesn't lecture him. The angel doesn't chastise him. The angel encourages him. When someone's struggling with discouragement and depression, that should be our recipe. Let's love on them in Jesus' name. Can I get an amen to that? Let's put our arms around them. Let's encourage them. You know, let's not beat them up. They're already struggling enough. Amen? There's a time when people need to be exhorted. And there's a time when people need to be loved on and encouraged. So we see how graciously he ministers to Elijah as he struggles with discouragement. Notice that it, what does it say? It says the, the what? The what of the Lord? The what of the Lord? Verse seven, the what of the Lord? Right at the beginning of verse seven. The angel of the Lord. When you see the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, it is always Jesus Christ. So Jesus, before he was incarnate on earth, he left heaven to come down and encourage Elijah in his depression because God knew he's not done with him and his discouragement to encourage him, to minister to him and to put him back together because God knew he wasn't done with him. Can I get an amen to that? Don't you love that the Lord shows up to minister to Elijah, even though he ran for his life? Because you know what? The Lord loves us 
even when we're not perfect, which is all the time. Can I get an amen? And what a faithful God that he ministers to him. By the way, Jesus also appeared to Abraham in Genesis 22, the angel of the Lord, to Moses in Exodus 3, to Gideon in Judges 6. And I love that Jesus comes personally to minister to his discouraged servant. So he told him, get up again and eat. So he arose, verse 8, and ate and drank. And he went in the strength of that food 40 days. Now I'd like to know what he ate. Can I get an amen? He ate something and he didn't have to eat again for 40 days. He went from hungry to ready to go. I mean, is this vitamin of Benjamin from Lucy? I mean, what is this? What is this? Whatever this is. Can you, boy, save me some money with the boys I got at my house. You see my boys? They're all bigger than me and they all eat a lot. So it'd be nice if you fed them once. They weren't hungry for 40 days. But you know what? What's amazing about this though, in the Bible, 40 is the number of testing. You know, how long did Jesus go without food? How long did it rain? Noah, 40 days. Right, you go through the Bible and you see 44. So God was preparing him and we see that God's not done with him and God's going to use him again. So he went through this time of discouragement and depression. The angel of the Lord comes to him, ministers to him, feeds him. By the way, as believers, we need to be fed physically, but even more importantly, we need to be fed spiritually. You want to get out of being depressed? Read the book, don't wait for the movie. Can I get an amen? By the way, Chosen's very good. That's a great movie. But this is better. Can I get an amen? So we want to open up the word of God and read it so that God will encourage us and strengthen us. And I'll tell you what, have you ever read the Bible and been more depressed after you read it? Amen. And by the way, especially, I'm, I'm, I'm studying Jeremiah right now at home in my devotional time. And that brother's the weeping prophet. You know, he ministered for 40 years and nobody got saved. But he kept ministering. Can I get an amen to that? Because we recognize that it's, not, it's up to God to bring the increase. So he arose, he ate and drank. He went on strength of that 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. Let me tell you how far that way that is. So he ran between 80 and 90 miles the first time. Now he runs 180 more miles. Now Mount Horeb has another name. Bonus points, anybody know what it is? It's Mount Sinai. It's where the law was given. So he's running all the way back to where God first spoke to the children of Israel in that way and delivered the word of God to Moses. And he's going to go up on the same mountain where Moses was so close to God that he came down glowing. Can I get an amen? And so he's running back to a place where he knew that Moses had been close to God and he ran 180 miles to get there. And so in depression and in discouragement, the way out is to run to the Lord, not from him. Can I get an amen? To run to the place and open up the word of God and spend time in prayer and be in fellowship. You know, when you're depressed, the enemy wants you out of fellowship. He wants you to stop coming to church. He wants you to go home and turn all the lights off and watch Netflix and just be depressed. Amen. But that's the, that's the opposite of what the Lord wants us to do. And we see that he runs to this place. He's going back to where God first called Moses. He's going back to where Israel received the Ten Commandments. And I think he went there looking to get close to the Lord again. Can I get an amen to that? Why would he travel so far? Why to this mountain of all places? So he's traveled about 260, 260 to 270 miles altogether to get to this place where he is. And again, the strength of his time with the Lord sustained him for 40 days and it strengthened 
in strength that he was fast and able to pursue the Lord's will and calling for his life. See, the angel of the Lord had ministered to him and fed him. And when the angel, when the Lord ministers to us and feeds us, it strengthens us that we might serve him. Amen. And the same thing happened when he fed him. And then he was able to travel that great distance and draw even closer to the Lord. By the way, when we feed on the word of God, it draws us closer to the Lord. So point number two there, what happens when our feelings take precedence? We move from boldness to discouragement and depression. So we saw that in the beginning, he just sat under a tree and wanted to die. What had happened? It was, he allowed his feelings and the feeling of failure and thinking he hadn't done what God had wanted him to do to cause him to come to a place where he wanted to take his own life. Number three, you feel isolated and alone. You feel isolated and alone. And there, there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now he's out there by himself. He's had ravens appear to him. He's had the angel of the Lord appear to him. And here again, God is speaking to Elijah and he's asking him what he's doing. Now the word cave there in Hebrew literally could mean the cleft in the rock where Moses hid. Do you remember when Moses was in the cleft of the rock and God put his hand over Moses and then let him see his backside. You guys remember that? And when he saw his backside, that's when he came down glowing because he just caught the backside of God and he was glowing because when you're in the presence of the, you know, the, if you go out in the S-U-N, you get sunburned. When you hang on with the S-O-N, you come back glowing. Can I get an amen? And so here he is and the present, he's in the presence of God, but he's asked, why are you here? God knows, of course, the answer, but it's good for Elijah to speak to the Lord openly and to unburden his heart. By the way, when you're struggling, can I encourage you? Talk to the Lord about it. Can I get an amen? He already knows, but talk to him about it. I also want to encourage you to pray about doing this sometimes. Read your Bible out loud. Amen? I find when I read out loud, it keeps me even more in tune with what I'm reading. When you read, you know, you can skip over stuff on accident when you're not reading out loud, amen? And by the way, people say, I want to hear God speak, then read your Bible out loud and you will. Can I get an amen? Because it's the word of God and God is speaking and he can use your voice. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Why are you here? Verse 10, he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, I alone am left and they seek to take my life. So he's basically telling God what God already knows, but he's kind of telling God all he's been doing for God. Hey God, I'm, I've, I've been zealous and I, I've done all this for your kingdom. And, and, and the result is they killed all the prophets and now they want to kill me. Hey, God, if you don't say, I'm the last one left. If you don't do something, you're going to have a non-profit business. Can I get an amen? Because <laughs> all the prophets will be dead. I'm the last one. Can I get an amen? So here he is saying, look, I'm it. And he thinks he's the last one. And he thinks, God, if you don't, if something doesn't happen, it's all over. Again, God doesn't need us. We need him. Amen. To Elijah and many servants since, it seemed unfair that a faithful servant of God should be made to suffer. Often people, you'll even hear pastors say this, and I would challenge whether they're really pastors or not. If you follow God, your life will be perfect. If you follow God, you can tell God what you want and he has to give it to you. What a bunch of nonsense that is. 
Aren't you glad? I think there's probably, I'm probably more glad about some of the prayers God didn't answer than some of the ones he did. Can I get amen to that? Because you know what? God knows what's best for us. And we don't tell God anything. We come humbly and broken before him and we trust that his answer is always what's best. Amen? He knows us best. He loves us most. He knows what's best for us. And we need to learn to trust him. Well, can you give me an example of anybody used mildly in the Bible that didn't suffer greatly? There aren't any. Amen? And yet we have this preconceived notion that if I serve God with zeal and boldness, that I'm going to have everything and my life's going to be perfect and there's going to be no opposition and no trials and no struggles. And the reality is that's why so many Christians are afraid to speak about the Lord because it do, they don't get the response they expect. Amen? Suffering is a part of serving Jesus. It's called the fellowship of his sufferings, the Bible says. Can I get an amen to that? And suffering is not something we should be fearful of. You know, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you for my name's sake, for so they did the prophets who went before you. When you make a stand for God, don't be a jerk. Don't be self-righteous. Don't be arrogant. Please don't be a hypocrite. Be loving, be kind, be gracious, because we're just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. Amen. And when, but at the same time, we should not be afraid. I alone am left and they want me dead. It's just me. I'm the last one. There's nobody else, Lord. If you don't use me, it's never going to happen. Um, guys, the Lord loves us. The Lord uses us. But if you check out, he'll still get his work done without you. Can I get an amen? But don't you want to be a part of what God's doing? Don't you want to have an active role in what the Lord's doing? Of course we do. So much better. Elijah's depressed. Frankly, life looks horrible to him. And sometimes our perspective can be a little off. If we're not careful, we tend to look at things uh, through the glasses of our mood. All days are afflicted. Are, are, it says in, in Proverbs 15, all the days of the afflicted are evil, but he who is of a merry heart has a continual feast. If you're in a bad mood, everything is horrible. If you're in a good mood, sometimes everything's great. Amen? And a lot of it is because we're just seeing through our own lens, through our own heart, through our own circumstances. If everything's good at home, then we think everything's great. If things are difficult, then we paint it all as horrible. It's not all the days the afflicted are really evil, but there's a mentality that we can take from time to time of being an afflicted person. Look, I'm, I'm not picking on anybody. I don't have anybody, anybody in mind in particular, but there are some people you meet that every time you talk to them, it's the worst day of their life and everything's horrible. And it all, it's all horrible. It all stinks. It's all horrible. It's horrible. It's horrible. They moan. They complain about everything. Guys, I remember that. There was an old, call, old cartoon called Gulliver's Travels. There was a guy in there that just walked around the whole time. We're all going to die. We're all doomed. The whole, that's what he did every cartoon. We're all going to die. Oh, no. It'll never work. Oh, no. You know, it's a cartoon you want to slap him. You know what I mean? You know, at some point, you know, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness faithfulness, self-control. Doesn't mean we're not sad at times. It doesn't mean we don't go through difficulty, but we're not people who walk around. You know, Christians shouldn't be walking around looking like they've been sucking on a lemon. Can I get an amen? As Christians, we should have more joy than anybody. You, how many people going to heaven? Okay. If you're going to heaven, does it get any better than that? Can I get an amen? 
It's better than winning the lottery. It's better than getting every promise of everything you've ever wanted. Guys, heaven is better than you think. You're going to close your eyes on earth and open them up in glory. Your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. His Holy Spirit has come to live inside of you. Guys, what a blessing, amen? And the next time you get bummed out, just remember that. Because it doesn't get any better than the fact that the King of kings and the Lord of lords is our Savior, amen? His response here, when he says, what are you doing? He's basically doing nothing. And then his response is, I've been zealous. Israel's forsaken me. They've torn down your altars. They've killed your prophets. I'm the last one left. Where are you, God? Kind of, don't you, can't you see that? Like, God, how come you haven't showed up? Does he know that God can do greater? What's the answer? Does he know that God can do anything? So when God doesn't do what he would hope he does, he wants to blame God. Guys, we should never blame God. The question never should be why, God, but what? What do you want to teach me, Lord, and how do you want to use this for your glory? Most of you know I spent nine months in the hospital in 2009 from a bot surgery, punctured my bowel pancreas, put me in a coma for a long time, over 60 surgeries in the hospital. And people would ask me, and it's only by the grace of God, did you ever ask God why? And I said, the question is never why. Were you ever mad at God? Why would I be mad at God? Can I get an amen to that? That just doesn't equate to me. Being mad at God, no, never, amen? I'm thankful for God. I'm thankful that when I was going through it, he was with me. Can I get an amen to that? And we can get mad at God and run from God or we can cling to him. You know, the Psalm 23, when you're laying down in green pastures, you can forget where the shepherd is. You're laying down in green pastures, everything's great. Where's the shepherd? He's around here somewhere. But when you're walking through the valley, the shadow of death, you're hanging on to the shepherd with both hands. Can I get an Amen. And sometimes we need to go through trials that will hang on to the Lord and our focus will only be on him. Lord, keep us humble, broken, and desperate and do what's necessary to keep us there. Amen? And instead of recognizing that, he's, well, God, you know, I've done all this for you and you just didn't show up. That's kind of what he's saying here. Um, he's being brave in the wrong way right about now. Amen? All I've done, but it didn't make any difference. What he's saying is, look, I did all these things, Lord, and nothing happened. Nothing's different. They're still following the false gods. They're still rejecting you. All the altars are still there. Elijah has faith, knows and trusts what God can do, but yet he's not doing it. God, why aren't you doing what I know you can do? Point number four, three reminders from the Lord to lift us out of discouragement and depression. Look at here at verse 11. The first one we're going to see, and I love this, is God is at work even when you don't see it. Verse 11. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. You know what's amazing? Wind came by, but the Lord was not in it. It was something visible. The earth shook, but that's not how the Lord chose to, spoke to speak to him at this time. The fire fell, but the Lord didn't speak to the fire. You know how the Lord spoke to him? In a still, small voice. And more times than not, that's how God speaks to us. Can I get an amen to that? God can use the miraculous. He just did at Mount Carmel. And even though he used the miraculous, the people didn't respond. 
But God most often speaks to us. He can speak to us through radical things, but often it's just that still small voice, that whisper that you hear. Guys, I want to be so close to God, I can hear him whisper. Amen? I want to walk in intimate fellowship. There's been time in my life, and maybe in yours too, where I was so far away from the Lord, I couldn't hear him shout. Can I get an amen to that? So I want to walk in intimate fellowship with the Lord so I can hear that still, small voice. God knew what a discouraged, even depressed man Elijah was, knew that he needed a personal encounter with God, and he showed him that the Lord wasn't in the wind or the earthquake or the fire. I wonder if that's where they got earth, wind, and fire, because it's right there. (laughs) Many only look for God in dramatic manifestations while he can and does manifest himself in dramatic ways. Uh, Again, it's not always Mount Carmel. Sometimes it's when you're laying in your bed at night, you're talking to the Lord. You're driving, you know, for me, I, I drive a lot. Most of you guys know I have an outside sales job. I have accounts from Orange County to Palmdale to Santa Barbara. And a lot of times in my car, I'm just hanging out with the Lord. I don't even know, you know, I get to the next appointment and I don't even want to get out because I'm just hanging out with the Lord. So guys, somebody, that's a lot of times where God speaks to us the most, amen? It doesn't have to be fire falling from the sky. It doesn't have to be something dramatic, though he can do that. But most often, it's just him speaking to us in that still small voice. God wants you, Elijah and you and I to know that even when he's quiet, he's still working. Even when we can't see it, God is still working. God is still active and an active part of our own lives. Sometimes God is the fierce wind. He spoke to Job out of the whirlwind. Sometimes God is the fire of the earthquake. When God spoke to Moses and Israel, there was fire and an earthquake on Mount Sinai. But sometimes God isn't in these things. Sometimes if we're expecting God to speak to us in a spectacular manner, we're going to miss him. If you're waiting for some big revelation where the fire falls, because he can do it, Sometimes you're going to miss it if you're looking for some grand thing instead of just listening to the still small voice and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. The word still small voice there in the New American Standard says a sound of gentle blowing. In NIV, it's a gentle whisper. In the New Revised Version, it's a sound of sheer silence. It's not rough, but gentle, more like whispering than roaring, something soft and easy. The voice of those that praise God in silence. Since ancient times, man has had a problem with too much noise, and the ancient prophets realized if they were to hear from God, they needed to be quiet. When's the last time you were quiet with the Lord? Turn off the radio, turn off the TV, turn off everything. Get in your prayer closet if you need to. Just don't be completely undistracted by the world and just spend time in his presence. When was the last time you did that? Guys, we need to do that more often. Can I get an amen? To just be still and know that he's God. I don't usually read illustrations, but I like this one. Before refrigerators, people used ice houses to preserve their food. Ice houses had thick walls, no windows, and tightly fitted doors. In the winter, when streams and lakes were frozen, they would cut large blocks of ice out and haul them into the ice out and cover it with sawdust. Often the ice would last all the way until the next summer. One man lost a valuable watch while walking in that ice house. He searched diligently for it, carefully raking through the sawdust. He couldn't find it. His fellow workers also looked, but their efforts too provided proved futile. A small boy heard about the fruitless search, slipped into the ice house during the noon hour, and soon came out with the watch. Amazed, the men said, how did you find it? He said, I closed the door, I laid down in the sawdust, and I kept very still and quiet so I could hear the watch ticking. You know, sometimes we need to just stop and just get before the Lord and be quiet. Amen? 
Again, often the question isn't if God's speaking to us, it's are we listening? Amen? Verse, uh, point number two there, be, be faithful right where you are. Look at verse 13. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Didn't he just get this question once before? God sometimes gives us another chance to answer. Is he going to get it right this time? So it was, Elijah heard it. And he said, have you, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel forsaken your covenant and torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword and I alone am left. And they seek to take my, has he learned anything? He's telling God the same thing. That's why we don't pray with vain repetition. Can I get an amen? We can tell God once he gets it. He's smart, we're not. Can I get an amen? But he tells him the same thing again. Then the Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Also, you shall now now anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, Elisha, first mention of him in the Bible, the son of Shaphath, as Abel Mahalah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu shall kill. Whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Here's what he's doing. He's putting him back to work as a prophet. He's saying, look, you're under a tree, you want to die. You've laid here and slept forever. It's time for you to get back up and start doing what you're called to do. Go down and raise up these people these men of God, that they might be used for my kingdom and for my glory, for all sitting on the sidelines doing nothing. Do you know what? All of us can disciple somebody. Can I get an amen to that? The Bible has called us to make disciples. Don't, don't raise your hand, but here's my question. Who's discipling you and who are you discipling right now? Who's discipling you and who are you discipling? And if it's nobody, nobody, it's time to change that. Can I get an Amen. Look for somebody more spiritually mature or at least spiritually mature to disciple you and look for others that you can disciple. And we're all called to do that. And we all should be doing that. And Elijah is told to get up and go out and start using your gifts again. Quit sitting on the sideline. Again, it's time to you know, get out of the stands and get on the field and start serving the Lord again. Amen? So he gives him things to do. Elijah put 700, had put to death 450 prophets of Baal, but these three men would be instrumental in finishing uh, the, the worship of Baal in Israel. These, God's going to use these three guys to get rid of the prophet Baals, the worship of Baal completely. See, he doesn't understand God didn't do it yet, but God's going to use some of the men that he invested his life in to finish the work that he starts. Amen? Most of you guys know my dad was a pastor. He pastored a church in Santa Cruz. He then went to San Jose to help, and that church got really small and moved to Aptos. In the year 2000, I was a youth pastor at Calvary San Jose. I was teaching on a Sunday morning, and God confirmed in my heart it was time for me to move on. It was time to go plant a church. I go out the back door. A bunch of people got saved that day. My dad's sitting out in the foyer. He's got tears running down his eyes. I just found this note in my safe, and my dad's been in heaven for four years, and it basically said, son... God's confirmed to me it's time for you to go and plant a church, and wherever you go, I'm going with you. And when I told him I was going to Santa Cruz, he said, son, God's bringing you back to finish the work that the Father started. God is good, amen? My dad was my assistant pastor for 10 years. How amazing is that? The most gifted Bible teacher I've ever heard in my life was my assistant serving me and asking me if he could go to lunch. That's pretty funny. <laughs> Elijah's to-do list here was to go out and 
and find these men and to anoint them and to, to call them into the ministry. And as long as we're breathing in and out, God's not done with us. Finally, last point, in the ways that God desires to lift us up out of depression, the success of God's ministry is not dependent on you. Look at verse 18. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. There's 7,000. He said, I'm the only one. Just me, Lord. Just me. I got 7,000 more just like you, bro. (laughs) There's 7,000 other people that you don't know that are serving God just like you are. I have 7,000 others, but you know what's amazing? God cares about every single one of them. Can I get an amen to that? He desires to minister to every one of our hearts. Elijah, you're not alone. Sometimes you may feel like you're alone. I'm the only Christian at my work. I'm the only Christian in my family. I'm the only Christian in my neighborhood. And the reality is there's other believers all around us, but God has you where he has you to use you for his kingdom and for his glory. You're the salt and light of that place. And don't forget it. Amen. Lastly, last point, all you are going through is part of God's work of molding you into his image and preparing you for what's next. So, so he departed from there, found Elisha, the son of Shaphath, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he was with the 12th. And Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, please let me kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from him, took a yoke of oxen, slaughtered them, boiled their flesh and used the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and he became his servant. Now I love this as we finish up here. First of all, God uses servants. Can I get an amen to that? But what's amazing is he's been plowing oxen and could have no idea what God had for him. No doubt he went out that day like every other day to plow the field yet again. And as he's plowing the field, notice that when he gets called by God to go do something else, he burns the ships, if you will. He takes the oxen that were plowing and he barbecues them and gives them to his friends as a going away party. And he takes the wood and he sets it on fire because there's no going back to plowing oxen. When God, even though you were there for a reason, even though God was doing a work in you while you were there, now it's time to do what God has next for you. And you, you know, this one thing I do, leaving that which is behind, I press onward to the upward call in Christ Jesus. Amen? But notice that what God did for Elijah, let's, as we close, Elijah got a man to disciple and he also got someone who's going to be his closest friend on the planet. And in the midst of his depression, God blessed him with somebody who he could minister to, but someone also who could be a ministry to him. That's our God. Can I get an amen? When you're going through difficulty, look for others that can come alongside you and encourage you. And we know that Elisha is going to be used mightily by the Lord. But again, as I mentioned early on, you'll notice throughout scripture that God calls servants, people that are working, people that are serving, the church I pastored in Santa Cruz, you know where I found my assistant pastors? We used to have to show up at 5 a.m. to set up for church because we had to set up a lot of chairs. And it would take about three and a half hours. And I would study all night in the offices next door and I'd come in and see guys at six o'clock in the morning with sweat, sweat dripping down their bodies. And I knew that guy, that person, they would, they would go in there for three and a half, four hours, go home, shower and bring their family back. Look, if we want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be 
servant of all. And God uses people who are servants. God uses those people who have a heart to lay down their life for the Lord. God called Moses when he was herding sheep. He called Gideon when he was threshing wheat. He called Peter, James, and John when they were fishing. He called Nehemiah when he was a cupbearer. There is no room for the lazy in ministry. Amen? Should never be too tired to do what God wants us to do. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. You are indeed a great and an awesome God. I thank everyone's patience tonight. We covered a lot of ground. But Lord, I pray there's anybody here tonight dealing with discouragement or depression. Lord, they would find their comfort in you. The fact that they're here tonight is a great thing. We need to run to you when we're discouraged. We need to run to you when we're depressed. We need to find our hope and our peace and our joy in you. We need to be reminded of how much you love us, that you're a faithful God, a loving God, a merciful God. You'll never leave us nor forsake us. So I pray if anybody here tonight or anybody watching on live stream or listening to this later, struggling with depression or discouragement, Lord, may you comfort them. May you encourage them. Lord, bring people to mind that we can reach out to that maybe have isolated themselves and need to be loved on and ministered to. Lord, if you want to hug somebody, use our arms. If you want to give them a word of encouragement, use our lips. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said...